Ahoy there, mates, and welcome. It is Chris, and this is ABW, a Bug Camp Wonderland podcast. Uh, we are live at time of recording. If you're listening to this in delay, then we're not live. Simple. That's how it works. As I say, my name is Chris. I'm your host for this evening. And as usual, we're going to be uh, talking about some uh, things going on in the Arsenal world. We've got two games to talk about, one to preview and lots of mishmash in the middle. So in order to do that, I'm going to need some guests. So introducing first, uh, here he is, the member of ABW, who Danny was praising before the show. What could possibly go wrong next? Evening, Femi, how are you doing? How are you doing, mate? Are you all right? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Thank you for coming on at uh, short notice. It's almost like Danny forgot everybody existed this week. Horrendous, anyway. <laughs> um, and we've got a special guest tonight. Uh, Danny reached out in our group and said, we're short numbers this week. Anybody want anybody on? And I said, oh, I know somebody. I haven't spoken to him in a while. And we found out before the show, it's actually been seven years since we've spoken to him live on this show. So somebody's avoiding somebody. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, but all jokes aside, it's a great pleasure. A great pleasure. Pleasure and pl privilege, all mashed into one, that was. Uh, it's Paul, uh, better known to you and I as Poznan in my pants from the Arsenal Vision podcast. Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing great, yeah. Back by popular demand. Se seven, seven years, years in the making. <laughs> they've been absolutely demanding my return after my last performance, so beating the door down well i'm sure many of our listeners um as danny said many times there are approximately 487 arsenal podcasts now available in the uh, in the wonderful world so i'm sure our, our audiences have crossed paths before but uh if people haven't listened to paul then we will sort of plug the um, arsenal vision podcast a little bit later on um but yes do check him out i'm afraid i can't talk quite as fast as elliot so you're gonna have to we'll have to slow it down for this one but not uh, many of us can you have to take him down with the tranquilizer dart just to get him down to normal pace <laughs> either that or, men or mention cedric suarez and then just watch him go it's all good yeah, just watch him go the other thing is like people listen to podcasts at like 1.5 speed i can't imagine wow. listening to elliot at 1.5 or 1.75 <laughs> i've actually God. got I've got your latest episode queued up for this evening after tonight's show. I might try that just for shits and giggles. I'll let you know the outcome later. Um, right. OK, let's uh, let's get into the show then. So um, we're going to sort of go back and rewind time a little bit, first of all, and just talk about the West Ham game first and foremost. Um, Paul, I'll come to you first of all. Bit of a kind of a weird one, really, because I came out of that game thinking I'm actually quite pleased that we didn't play particularly well. Um, and I know that's a weird thing to say, but I, I feel like we've learned more from that. Um, and we will touch on what we've learned specifically in the midfield area a bit later on in the pod. But what was your general feeling on, on that game and, and how we came out of that, given that it was a late win? It was a, a tough evening and, and there were some sort of mixed performances, eventually getting the, the three points we, we desired. How did you sort of feel about it? Well, I thought it was a really good reality check after the Fulham game. And we've got a really tough run coming up ahead of us. And one way or another, you're going to get slapped in the face with the cold fish. So it was good. We had a really good re reality check. Um, West Ham are very good. Like, they're not going to get in the top four or the top six. They may even struggle for the top half of the table. But David Moyes knows his stuff. And he set up a particular kind of mid-block right around where we'd want our playmakers or our inverted wingers coming in to find some space. And they just made it really difficult to play through the middle. I think they made us look not very good. Now, I'm not saying we did particularly well coping with it. I think we got to grips with it in the second half. There's that video of Chaka um, 
pinging them over the top or finding space or running to space and then chipping, pinging the ball around. And certainly in the second half, it felt like there was just a little bit more space and we started to play. Um, end of the first half, we had a spell. Uh, they had a good start to the second half, but but even within their spell, there was some space. And it just felt like the second half, we had more space and we played. And Chak, I thought in particular, shined because we're going to be talking about this this midfield dilemma and the Chaka dilemma too. Is he good? Is he bad? What kind of a player is he? Uh, I I go back and forward from game to game. But uh, yeah, West Ham was a really interesting test for us. Uh, Arteta's interview afterwards, I mean, the guy just gives good interview. Um, so crisp on, on the issues. He was saying how well we'd been, that we had the best week's practice he had seen since he was at the club. I think that explains why when he lost uh, Tierney, he put in Kolasinac because they both basically spent the week training as the left center, left center back. And he wanted like for like. I'm sure the rest of us might have thought, well, not Kolasinac, who else do you have? But he wanted like for like, and he played that way. And I think that was another challenge for us. Uh, Kolasinac these days, he didn't always do this, but these days he just passes backwards and he, he was kind of a parody of himself in this game to some degree, uh, which is a shame. I used to quite like him as a player. Uh, a lot of us did, and something happened along the way. It, it's funny, you can go in one direction and then, then you can come back the other way. Chaka being a case in point, uh, the pendulum has swung back and forward with him. But very interesting game, a good test, a uh, really good goal. Uh, for um, uh, Eddie and Katia's confidence and paying off for his work rate. And I think that maybe helped a little bit uh, as we went into the, the Leicester City game too for for him. And uh, he's beginning to rack up a couple of goals and some contributions beyond just grafting for the team. Yeah, 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 well said. And um, sort of segueing into that that conversation there for me as well, the situation regarding goals. Obviously, a lot there's, there's a lot of pressure been put on Aubameyang's shoulders in terms of the fact that he signed the, the new contract, he signed the new deal, which is great, but we have been very reliant on him. It's kind of nice to see us win a game where we didn't rely on his goals. Um, yes, he did set one up, but Lacazette bagging his 50th for the club and, and as Paul said, and Kessie are coming up with a winner. We, we are going to need to find goals um, before this transfer window shuts. Obviously, we don't know the, the final squad now, but we're going to need to find goals like that in these tight games, aren't we, where, where Aubameyang might not have his best night. Was that a bit of a positive for you that we managed to kind of grind that, that game out, as, as Paul was saying? Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't as... <laughs> I think watching it live, I was not as impressed, I would say. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but I guess on second watch, you know, you, you do take... Um, you take more out of the game when there's less less tension, I guess, when you're watching it. Um, <clears throat> in terms of goals, I mean, we're going to have to find them somehow. And it's not just in terms of, I mean, you can't have one player scoring 30 goals and other, you know, averaging sort of 10, 8 goals between them. You have to, for a good season, I think you have to have at least three players over 15 goals. For if you're looking at having a good season, you know, when you look at last season, Man City scored exactly double the amount of goals that we scored as a team, you know, so you have to find a goal somewhere. I'm hoping that set pieces will contribute to more goals. Uh, we look like we've got more of a plan on taking set pieces. So, you, I mean, just, just 
you know, in swingers and out swingers, you can see that there's a different um, plan when when they're setting up. So I think we'll get a few more set piece goals, a few more headed goals um, as well. But I think someone like Laka has to contribute, you know, 10, 15 goals, to be honest. I mean, even at his worst, Giroud used to get, you know, 15 league goals, not, not to bring his name up. But <clears throat> if you're starting... And um, I know his role is quite different, um, Lacazette, but, you know, if you're starting centre-forward, you, you should be expecting more goals. But <laughs> I think that will come to our future discussion. We have to be creating more chances as well for our forwards. I don't think Aubameyang Oba had one single shot in the whole game um, of this of the West Ham game. He didn't even... I mean, he had a, a few chance creations, but he didn't have a lot of shots, to be honest. So... We have to expect more from our, our midfielders as well in terms of chance creation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The, the creativity, as you say, is something we'll come on to, but the, the goal production for a midfield is also key. The, the only other thing I just wanted to mention in this game, uh, I'll come back to you, Paul, on this one. The um, sort of the general murmurings in the Arsenal social media world, I, mean, I know that's a massive shock to all of us watching here, Arsenal fans not being happy about something on social media, but there was a lot of... Um, mixed opinions on, on Leno on the night. And, you know, I, I kind of cheekily brought it up on our show and, and sort of said, you know, he did look a little bit suspect. And I was being a bit, a little tongue-in-cheek and poking the bear a little bit. But what what did you make of that whole situation? Because I know you had quite a good debate on, on your pod about the goalkeepers. And, and we know Emi Marcez has moved on now and that isn't going to change. There's no point sort of going over old ground. But having brought in Renesson this week to, to largely no fanfare at all, is there a bit of a concern that that maybe Leno will, will get comfortable? And, and, and were you concerned in that game that I wouldn't say he looked rusty? And obviously the one where he landed on his head, you know, it's not hardly his fault. But there was just a few moments where I just kind of winced a bit. Do you know what I mean? And I don't know how I don't know how you felt in that particular game. Well, I think we got very comfortable with Emmy. He's a big guy, big frame. Uh, he projects. He he he, he carries himself around his six-yard box and around the penalty area with authority to the point where uh, the opposition kind of starts banging in crosses anywhere near anything he can claim. Um, And, you know, that's worth quite a lot. Um, Of course, Emi Martinez, before he hit this hot hot patch uh, after the COVID break, I mean, I don't think any of us would, we'd all have been delighted if we sold him for 15, 16, 20 million dollars, 20 million pounds. Um, and so it's kind of a, an, a, a, I was going to say an embarrassment of riches to have those two keepers, but it doesn't feel like that because you kind of have different skill sets. Uh, Leno is a superb, fast reaction shot stopper, gets down low really quick, comes out really quick. The problem is Emmy managed to emulate almost all of Leno's strengths uh, in a very short time. It's not what I had uh, attributed to Emmy previously, but somehow he came out of the out of the the gun uh, like I guess you come out of a, a gun like a bullet, and he did. I mean, he just started quick from the first game. He was really good. The real problem with Emmy was it's such a small sample size. I mean. You could uh, kind of own the guy, decide he's your go-forward guy, try and explain to Leno why he might want to find other opportunities elsewhere because we needed to sell somebody for revenue. 
We need 20, 30 million from somewhere. And I don't think Leno was anywhere near getting his head around the idea that he'd be leaving the club. So we had a tough choice from a buy-sell standpoint, but we need money if we want those players to fix our midfield. And we don't need, sadly, you don't need two top-level goalkeepers when you're at our level. So somebody had to go. It kind of had to be Emmy. Uh, He was clearly... even himself, he had positioned himself as being ready to leave. He basically said, make me number one, or I need to go elsewhere and be number one. And I think we all understand why. He's waited a long time to be number one. He's also waited a long time to be this good. Uh, Perhaps the thing we should be really encouraged with is how did he go from being a fairly good second level keeper kind of, kind of mid-Fabianski kind of career. Uh, Fabianski had his own uptick and has gone on to have a, a pretty pretty strong career elsewhere. But Emmy suddenly has this uptick, and maybe the heartening part of it all is that Inaki Pavan, the goalkeeper coach, really is the business, yeah. um, which leads to the fact that he wanted runner Runnerson, so good they named him two and a half times. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he knows this guy, and the guy... To everybody else, he's a bum. You know, he's the he's the second goalkeeper who can't get a game. He was dropped a few years ago, couldn't get back in. But obviously, Inaki thinks something of him. So maybe he'll only ever be our second goalkeeper or our somewhere between second and third. But, hey, we buy him for $2 million, sell him on for an extra 15%. Well, no, let's, sell, let's do something we don't normally do and actually sell him for three, four, five, six times as much money in the future that'll be handy. Uh, but maybe he's more than that. Maybe he's really good with his feet. We know nothing. It's it's all projection, right? But maybe he's like, I think somehow Emmy had slower feet and, and yet looked more comfortable doing that playing out from the back than Leno had, who I think has quicker feet, is more mobile. But Emmy just, you know, he has balls and he had courage and I'm not denying, I wouldn't say a word against Leno, but, but uh, you know, Emmy really came with an attitude and, and was aggressive in how he played out. And I don't know that I sense that same level of confidence with Leno, but he can grow into it. He's working with Inaki Pavan um, himself, so maybe he can kick on to the level that that'll be required. I suspect that it's such a key portion of the game. If you look at Liverpool, if you look at Man City, where Arteta has come from, the goalkeeper in some respects is everything to your style of play. Um, and so I hope he'll be re- relentlessly ambitious and maybe to that point wants competition for for Leno going forward, whether it's this guy, whether it's the guy they're looking at, uh, David Rea from Brentford that they're going after. I mean, there's a lot of moves to make a goalkeeping side. Um, and maybe he's pushing for something different and more. And, you know, maybe runner Runnison is a an insurance policy uh, in case we can't get the keeper. We want this window. Artel has said it's going to take a few windows. So maybe he's the insurance policy so that we don't have to do anything really daft as we go looking for the right second keeper because we want that second keeper to push Leno all the way and potentially become our our Allison, our uh, uh, Ederson, whoever it might be. 
Yeah, yeah, I think you make a good point there. And Matt Macy has sort of outwardly said that he'd like to move on first team football, so he's probably going to move on himself. Um, and the the young Nigerian keeper, I believe he's, he's come off quite a, a quite a serious injury. So I guess there's a bit of a debate about how you know how fit he'll get, he's going to be in terms of the youth projects pushing forward. So it does make sense to be linked with with a few. But um, nevertheless, we we got the victory, so that was the most important thing. Um, we're going to move on to Leicester in just a second, and I will come to you, family, just before we do. Um, just say hello to a few people. Those of you that are, are watching us live, you've got nothing better to do. God bless you all. Um, just to name but a few, Julian Salmon, Stan the Man from Dark Square to Wear, some bloke called Josh, he sounds like a wrong one to me, uh, Archie and 235100. Um, there you go, there's a few of you, David. Um, and also Luca Kolakusic. We're live on Twitch. Um, we're doing that. So, uh, yeah, if, you are, if you're a Twitch person, um, log in and you can uh, spam the emotes and all the good stuff that comes along with it. And just a quick shout out to our, our YouTube members as well, our very own Nikki Wilson and Corey. And we got uh, Mike, Mike Hahnemann, uh, Bill Butler, Yemi Fash and J-Rob. Uh, they are all YouTube members. So thank you very much to you guys for signing up, as Danny would say, for not a lot. But, you know, we appreciate it. So thank you. Um, moving on to Leicester then, Femi. Uh, I'll hold my hands up here. I was not willing to pay £10 to watch a League Cup game. Um, I just, just wasn't. I pay God knows how much to watch uh, football from all around the world all year round. So I'm not paying to watch League Cup games. But I did watch the highlights and I did did watch the press conferences and and all the stuff that went with it. By all accounts, from what I, what I heard, decent. You know, a, a completely changed team. A few players given, a few fringe players given starts. A few players that are right on the edge of the first team were given starts. Um, some some good performances overall. Two questions for you, really. One, what did you think of the game overall? And two, do you care? And I don't mean that flippantly, but the League Cup. I mean, you know, do you care overall? First of all, game wise. Um... I actually quite enjoyed it. It was a it was quite a good game. Um, performance wise, we uh, it looks like for me anyway, the young players are ready to soak up information. You know, the way that they played was just the the patterns was just absolutely. You could see that it was just perfection of what Arteta wants in terms of patterns. The quality obviously is not as high as maybe if you stick some other players in but the patterns you can see that they're they're running the way you know someone like reese nelson you can see that he he's just ready to soak up information and take everything in you know so that that's the enjoyable part of it just watching you know uh, not a completely different set of players but just uh, uh, making seven changes but you know the pattern and the patterns of play is just starting to come out more. I think that's that's really, really important, you know, and it will be important going forward. I'm sure we probably touch on Europa League and the substitution rule changes and stuff like that, which means we're going to have bigger squads for Europa League. So we will be able to, you know, mix it up a little bit more. Um, so I think it's, it's really good to keep the squad ticking as well. We have to get players games. You know, we're basically in preseason. If you really think about it, we've we've not played a proper preseason. So I know you you as a coach, um, Chris, will know that you need a few games to get the team up and running. And if you've got players that are just sitting there doing nothing, then that becomes a problem very very quickly. And um, so that's why I think it's important to stay in the cup because. The format of this cup this season is is so strange. I mean, they had the the second round last week. They've got the third round this week, and they've got the fourth round. 
next week, which for us is going to be a problem now because I'm pretty sure we've got Liverpool on Monday night. I'm pretty sure when they made that fixture, they didn't expect Arsenal to play <laughs> Liverpool in the same week. So we've got a game on Saturday against Sheffield United. So are they going to put the game on a Wednesday? So we're going to play Monday and Wednesday, or are we going to play Thursday and Saturday? So we've got a bit of um, a bottleneck already in terms of fixtures. So I think that's the downside, but you know, the upside is get players some minutes, get players some confidence. And um, yeah, I'm sure individual performances we can go into not too much, but you know, there were some, some good performances yesterday. Yeah, yeah, I, I do I do agree with that. And the fixture pile-up, I must admit, um, feel free to enlighten me in a second, Paul, if you know the answer to that. I'm frantically looking through the Arsenal website now. But did you did you take in the game last night, Paul? Did you did you watch it live? And what was your thoughts on it? Because I know you're quite you're quite a you know a big um, advocate for especially younger players getting an opportunity, getting a chance to play. But I thought it, it was a, for me. It's quite a sign of intent that Arteta used so many first team players in a competition and it's almost like he feels like the, the 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 more wins we get the better performances we get the more momentum we build i mean i can't remember the last defeat we had which i'm you know sure somebody will tell us but, but it, it feels like a while ago and it feels like Mikel wants to keep a strong base of a team in every round of every competition to keep this momentum going yeah yeah i watched it um i think it's a bit like sex football for me which is i've had a lot of it and i've never had to pay for it so i found it out there without having to pay any money uh, there are ways let's just say um yeah no i really enjoyed it uh, i pretty much enjoy any old shite we playing um it was good that uh i agree that the kids performed uh, they looked really good now I, I missed a little bit of the start of the first half so I'm mainly going off kind of the, the tail of the first half and then the second half. I thought it looked really good. I mean, there was a little space to play in, which is always nice. You don't always get that against West Ham in the Premier League, but there was a little space to play in here and the guys could show what they could do. And um, I think we took it. Uh, I mean, we made a lot of changes here. Uh, Leicester made 11. Um, apparently we made seven. Um, but you know, we, we definitely move things around, and uh, but once you put the team out, you go to win. And when you look at um, uh, Guardiola at City, where Arteta's just had a, a several year apprenticeship there, I mean, he takes League Cups extremely seriously, goes to win it, and has won it multiple times. Uh, I uh, believe we'll have the same philosophy. and. You know, if I don't have to be, uh, have, kind of have a, a different emotional take to what's going on with the club, I'll, I'll go with the flow of the club. And we have a manager who takes every cup competition seriously. So, great. Um, I'm all, uh, you know, if our manager's philosophy was, was very much dedicated on throw away the League Cup and focus on, on uh, the Premier League, then, okay, I can get behind that too and I won't worry about it so much. But, hey, if we're going to enjoy the Cups, if the team's going to be serious, if the manager's going to be serious about the Cups, sign me up. Um, and I do think it all feeds into uh, the the bigger picture, that Buddhist, it's all part of one because uh, there's a lot of players who need games. I mean, there's the downside of it. But there are a lot of players who needed games, and these players needed to get out there. Nelson and Katia had an important stint at the last weekend, but he needed these minutes. And uh, 
he 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 got his goal. He also had that uh, looping lob cleared off the line. He'll he'll feel he was robbed. I think that was before he got his goal. Um, and you know he he's been putting in a lot of hard graft, but not getting a lot of goals and results from it. He's kind of self-serving the rest of the team, and now he's getting a few goals. And that's what he needs to be able to combine that that he can graft for eighty-nine minutes, but be sharp enough at the moment he gets into the box, because that's what he always could do when that was all he was asked to do, which was, you know, very few uh, strikers can ghost into the box and find space like Eddie can. But he's added that whole uh, aspect to his game like Bamford does for Leeds. And I think that stay at Leeds was really good for him as a young player. I know there's a lot of talk about how he didn't get any time there, but he did. He, he had a couple of starts. He had a couple of half games and many sub-appearances but more importantly, he had to battle within that environment, within that system. And hopefully that's now paying, you know, how has Arteta used him? He's used him as that hard, hard working, hard grafting player that works for the team. Um, so it was really interesting to see him. I enjoyed Nelson. I thought he was absolutely uh, uh, on, uh, on the money in this game. I thought really carried himself well really nice balance on the ball you you started to, some of his cut insides that that curling shot he took they hit the bar oh geez that i think it got a touch from the keeper but man that would have been a beautiful goal um but you know it's not the premier league it's not west ham uh resoluting blo- resolutely blocking off all the space so you 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 know, we have this concept over on the Arsenal Vision podcast called the Crapatron 4000, <laughs> where we run these kinds of fixtures. You know, was this a good performance? Well, that's a function of the competition, uh, the team you're against, the, the strength of their lineup, the strength of our lineup, where you're at in the season, what you're focused on. So, you know, you run this through the Crapatron. It was a pretty good performance, but you can only read so much into it. Um, yeah. But yeah, really good. Saka was really good. Um, it you know Pepe needed minutes. Maitland Niles hasn't had a run out, and he got the full game. And he, he looked a little sulky in the first half, but he, I mean he really got into it in the second half. He was char- he, recovery runs, charging everybody down. Basically, if they care, I care. That's the way I feel about it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you care, we care. Um, yeah, I thought I thought Bellerin's cameo was pretty good as well when he came yeah. on. I thought he, yeah. he looked looked sharp and and hats off to Christian Fuchs for a hell of a finish as well. We we needed that just at that particular point. So yeah, that was class. Um, and El, El Nene was the other one that um, stood out. I think one of our um, one of our our viewers. Um, sort of coined the phrase the the Egyptian Pele, I think. It was. <laughs> the yeah, I, I wanted to um, I wanted to give a big um. Uh, a, a shout out to El Nene actually. I mean, I, like I was watching the game and I was looking at the um, I was looking at the stats during the game as I was watching. He had he was number one on touches, aerial duels one, um, pass percentage he was first. Um, all the defensive stats he, he he was literally first on everything. You know, he had the most touches of any player on the pitch. Um, pass accuracy was the best, you know. So he had a really, really good game. And then I saw the um, pass patterns as well. And if you saw all the pass patterns, nearly every pass patterns he had the most pass patterns of, of everyone on the pitch. So you know he's he's come back. You know we we always look at a player who goes out on loan and we think that's the end of them. To be honest with you, especially if they go to a league that we don't 
pay attention to or watch, we just think, oh, that's that's it. They'll they'll go back to that league or but he seems to have come back a lot more mature, a lot more focused. And um, we've, you know, it, it just shows that with proper instructions, you just don't know what a player can become. You know, I'm not saying he's a world beater, but, you know, if you've got squad players that are <laughs> that are um, squad players that can do their thing, you know, he, he's basically what Genduzi should be right now in, our, in our team. Great point. He's a coach's yeah. dream. He's the I, that's the point I wanted to make. He's the anti-Ganduzi, right? Uh, <laughs> why would Arteta like this guy and big him up? Well, he's played with a, played with him or at least been in the squad with him. Uh, he knows him. He knows his attitude. Uh, Ganduzi or is um, sorry, El Neni is not going to turn into Pirlo, but he follows instructions. Uh, um, nobody is more positionally disciplined in our team. I mean, he, he's formed good partnerships in the past with Chaka, where you know you could you could give them a ten yard rope, and that thing would never go slack or get overextended in the course of ninety minutes. Because uh, El Neni will always watch his dif- distances, will always screen, and you know, a- as a coach, what you're trying to get is buy in, people adapting to the system. And he, he, I don't see Al Neni being a starter for a whole bunch of games this year, but he could be a really useful ally to Arteta in the team, taking instruction. You know, we know and we've seen Arteta, especially during this break when there's no crowd there and everybody can hear him. He's shouting at Danny, he's coaching. The breaks, this, this break, unfortunately, without the fans, I think has been great for accelerating Arsenal's adoption of Arteta's system. Because basically every game is a training game. In the, it's a live game and it's also a training game. He's coaching everybody all the time. And they can hear, you know, in a, with 50,000, 60,000 folks in a, a stadium, uh, there's bugger all. You're going you're gonna to focus on the game. You're, gonna, you're actually going to shut out the coach. But you can't shut out this coach. <laughs> He's calling your name. Not only can you hear him every Buddy in the stadium can hear him calling you, telling you to hold your position, kind of stay in your zone, uh, watch your, you know, all of that. So uh, I think it's been far more beneficial for us adopting our system and learning our system because we had the furthest to come from. And Arteta, the, the, mo- the most learning to impose upon the team. So hopefully it pays off. Yeah, yeah, good point, and and definitely a sort of fair thing to highlight with that. And I agree with both of you in in terms of like you say, he's not going to be a well beater, but you almost sort of, you you need those kind of generals. You need those players that are going to come in and just and do the right things and do the simple things in midfield. And and I did see a bit of him in Turkey, and by all accounts, he was very good over there. And and it's the sort of player that he isn't going to command a huge transfer fee. So for me, there isn't really much benefit in selling him. And if you can get a tune out of him and, and if he's willing to do what Arteta's saying, and he doesn't strike me as the sort of guy who would kick up a fuss if he's not in the first team. I think he sort of knows his levels as a player and I think he was quite happy to come back. So, um, yeah, when you send a player on loan, you, you can only hope that you get a better player back. And it feels like that's what we've what we've done. Um, speaking of midfield, uh, let's let's go into sort of part one of our of our two part debate here. Um We'll come on to business in a minute and, and transfery stuff in a second. We'll kind of segue the two together. But first of all, in midfield, um, I'll start with you, Fem. Where, where do you see it 
on sort of as we speak, where do you see our midfield? There's there's two characters who shall not be named right now. We we know who they both are. Neither of them were in the squad last night, which I think surprised a few, even to not even make the bench sort of speaks speaks volumes. But it is a big error, isn't it? It is a big worry in terms of creativity, in terms of the fact we seem to have wingers and holding midfielders, but not anything in between the two. What's your thoughts on, on our midfield error at the moment? Yeah, I, I mean, the ba- basic principle that I've got is that was the biggest issue last season. So if that was the biggest issue last season and then you take out two more components and you're only adding in an Elneny, if that's the way that we're going to go, I, I just don't see that that's the way we're going to go, to be honest. I mean, we get a, a better Sabios, I guess. Um we should do anyway, but he's not ours. But you know, he he seems to have a point to prove. He's fired up as usual. But the balance, we, I, I, I'm, I mean, just put it like this: playing two in midfield, it means that we we do have to shift things around a lot to put three in there. So, for example, last night Maitland Niles was coming infield to make the other third midfielder, which he does when he's on the left as well, to be fair. So it seems that we generally do want to play three midfielders or we see the importance of playing three midfielders, but we can't seem to string three compatible midfielders together, like you said, with our squad. And I think Arteta knows this. You can read between the lines so many interviews that he gives and he says, we've got an imbalanced squad. Even Edu says, you know, we we need to balance the squad somehow. There's just an imbalance of positions in in our squad and we just need... uh, I mean, we're leaving it quite tight in terms of of time now. We've only got like 10, 12 days or something like that to sort it out, but it seems that the outgoings is the major issue here. It, it, I mean, we might as well just say the two players that you're talking about, they're, the writing's on the wall for them. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean, there was rumours two days ago that Genduzi handed in a, a request and which some journalists went to Arsenal about and Arsenal denied it. But that seems to have, that seems to be pretty much just, you know, he's got to leave, so there's no point in playing him. And yeah, I, I don't know where we, unless we can shift some players. We also got another player that we we're not even talking about, which is Lucas Torreira, <laughs> who did, wasn't even mentioned last night. You know, yeah. a player two years ago was a guaranteed name on the name on the team sheet. You know, he was messed around positionally, messed him around, and it just seemed to ruin his form totally and he just hasn't recovered from that you know it's such a shame you know he's such a good player but let's see what happens I guess we we, we need to do a lot of shifting and I don't know what's I mean obviously I'm not in the industry in terms of behind the scenes but it seems to have taken a lot of time to shift players this summer I, I know it's hard but we seem to want the top dollar for them but a lot of teams don't have the top dollar to give us yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a good point, and and I I can't I can't hold it back any longer, Paul. I have to throw the the, the big the big box with T marked on it for transfers at you. But um, I think, like Femi's saying, it's very clear that every club at the moment is trying to play this very clever game of chess in terms of the window. They're trying to leave it as late as possible. Um, you know, review the situation in terms of like essentially kind of looking at, at what what we can move out, what we can move in 
but for the right prices at the right times in the right ways, if that almost makes sense. It's like a very, very big jigsaw puzzle. Um, what how, how do you how do you see how do you see this fitting together? Can you even see this fitting together in terms of moving these players out in time? We all know who we've been linked with, and I think we've been linked with the entire Chelsea team this week, which is a bit of a strange one. But is is there a situation where you can see that we can make this work, that we can move the players out that we want to and, and move the players in that we need to? Yeah, I would guess so. I think it's going to be a mad scramble at the end because players need or c- clubs need to get rid of players, clubs need to get players. The problem at the moment is uh, clubs are recovering from what they've just been through financially and are now trying to guesstimate how much money they're going to generate in the next six months, 12 months, the season, you know, next season, the season after that. You can take a hit for a while, but but eventually you got to pay the piper. And so, you know, clubs are reeling from that. Uh, there's a few big clubs who, one way or another, will... Uh, finance and resource it, but then there's everybody else and uh, a lot of the smaller clubs. Um, this is an existential crisis they're going through. They need better players to stay up in the Premier League to get the big money, but they also have no idea how much revenue they may lose in terms of, of gates, in terms of uh, the penalties if they go down. Uh, the contracts, how much they're paying their player, you know. So here we are looking at uh, transfers, and it reminds me of kind of like when there's a big change in the housing market and nobody can, houses can't get sold, not because people don't want to sell them and buy them, just nobody agrees what the value of the house is. You have people who bought a house for 500000 who are being told it's now worth 300000 and they're like, screw it, I'm not selling. Um and I think it's like that with players. Uh, it doesn't. Right now, we're at a point where clubs are saying, I, uh, "You might tell me Torreira is now just a 15, 15 million pound player, but we bought him for the for closer to thirty million. So I'm not buying it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to sell a player at that price. Now, some realities will come uh, a little later on in the window." clubs will have to narrow the gap between what they used to think a player was worth and what a new club is willing to pay for it. Because uh, that new club, if they're Italian, is trying to work out how they're going to pay their bills next year. Uh, there's not too many clubs who are confident in their revenue streams and their profitability, etc. There's a whole bunch of people holding expensive players that were bought expensive and on high salaries and then there's players saying, well, why would I want to move? If I make a move, I'm probably going to a club who wants to pay me less because, again, salaries are going to get de- degraded in terms of what clubs are willing to pay and and uh, what the bonuses are going to be like and what the fees, what fees they're willing to pay agents. There's all sorts of stuff getting realigned behind the scenes, and I think that's why nothing's moving. I'll tell you what I do think is interesting in this market. Do you remember a few years ago – you never knew what our club was doing in the market. There'd be all these rumors and what we do would be totally different. And it just feels these days, the last two or three years, maybe we just got a lot better at rumors, but the rumors are the rumors. They're, they're you know, 
you could follow the Pepe story and the Pepe rumors last year. And when you look back on those rumors, those rumors were actually what was going on with the storm. It was back and forward. We, you know, we were after Zaha. We were we were talking to Pepe, but he was kind of the back burner. Then Zaha, we weren't willing to pay that money. Uh, we went for Pepe. And all the rumors around it will, you know, when you filter out like the real extreme shit, the rumors are where the story is going. This year, we know who we're after. Again, we know we want a player like uh, Awar and we want a player, actually, we want Awar and we want Partey. The club isn't doing a lot to disavow us of that belief. They're not out there saying, nah. You know, that these days they do kind of tell you, nah, that's, that's bullshit. That's not where we're going and that rumor dies. It's amazing how good... Maybe it's with every club, but it just seems you can actually listen to the rumors, give them a little time to filter off and the, the crap goes away. But what rumors are we, who are we after? We know who we're after, right? We, we were seriously after that goalkeeper and we still want him, the dude from Brentford. We know we want David Rea at the right price. We know we want a uh, party. And we know we want a war. Now, the only thing we don't know is if we want them both in the same window and we can afford both of them in the, in the window because we've had pretty good information too. It's probably one or the other unless something dramatic happens. And we know we've got to sell outgoings. I'm just like, if I go back three, four, five years ago, you'd have all these rumors and I just basically put my fingers in my ears for the whole window because it was all utter bullshit. And then I'd wake up on Christmas morning and see who we had bought or hadn't. Um, but it's very interesting to see the two profiles of players that we're going after, and in fact, the players we're going after. Yeah, yeah. Can, can, I, can, I, can I come back on that? Do you, do yeah, you yeah. think that 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 has something to do with the Arsene Wenger era? As in, now you can clearly see that we're using agents, and not only agents, we're using these things that I didn't even know a few months ago called intermediaries so clearly these intermediaries are feeding some certain journalists um or or new new style journalists twitter journalists i don't i don't know what they are that have popped up so clearly when we were operating under arsene wenger we weren't too much using these people so a lot of people used to do a lot of guesswork and 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 we did kind of at times do, just do a scattergun approach during those transfer, which is we just inquired about everyone, just pissing clubs all over Europe off, to be honest with you. <laughs> Whereas now, we just got these intermediaries who are, who can tell people what's going on at every single turn, because this is what teams seem to do now. Arsenal, Man United seem to do it, which is they don't want to directly make a bid for a player. They want to put feelers out in the background and get so that if, if, if it goes wrong, they can deny that they were ever interested in that player. That seems to be the, something that's happening now. Yeah, it's interesting. I, do, I don't know. I think it's a few different things. Like back in the Arsene Wenger day, he never wanted to do the obvious thing anyway. And he never, you know, his whole thing was a bit of mystery and, and find the player that other people weren't looking at or the, you know, the, the, the from right field. Plus our negotiator was, was Dick Law. And you would hear, you'd hear all these stories of, uh, club saying, oh, Jesus Christ, it's Dick Law on the phone, <laughs> jerking us around. You know, we, we want 50 million for our player and he's offering us 7 million. And then you'll phone back a week later, how about eight? And like, you know, we were legendary. So that was part of it. Like the rumors were never the rumors because actually we couldn't, we weren't seriously going to pursue. 
we'd, we'd put an offer, we'd slide a number across the table and they, they'd laugh and we're like, well, hold on to it. You, you might get desperate. We'll come back to you later. So we, we were talking to everybody all over the place. I think that's part of it. We're very clear on our targets these days. You know, they, they've worked out with it. I don't know that it's necessarily better or worse. You know, there's pluses and minus. You know, if you take the good Arsene Wenger, and I'm not even talking about the Invincibles days, there was a period well after the Invincibles where I still kind of enjoyed Arsene stick. Um, the last couple of years, it got a little ropey there. I think we might have, have wanted to do the right thing for Arsene a year or two earlier than we did it. But I enjoyed, you know, not everybody enjoyed it. I enjoyed the whole process with Arson. But man, he had his own style in the market. And that was half the problem. But I also think maybe we've got a little better. And as as Arsenal Twitter, you know, we maybe don't spend as much time chasing the bullshit stuff. Maybe just the, the social media process. I don't know. Something beyond that feels a little different because I just... I've been amazed the last two or three, may, you know, saying we knew who we were going for at the in the January window. We were going for, uh, we knew right from the get go we were going for Cedric and we were going for Pablo Mari and we were flying to Brazil with Edu and back again. It was like it's like reality TV. Our our windows now. I don't spend any time worrying about people we don't end up buying. Uh, I have no wasted rumor time these days, which is great. You can kind of get invested in these guys. You can spend time on YouTube. We got Y Scout over at Arsenal Vision Podcast, so we got to have a look at these guys. <laughs> You've a set number of hours per month. I blew it all in the first <laughs> evening watching party. So Clive gets on it the next day to do some scouting, and he's like, uh, the subscription has expired. So. You can go check them out after the window's closed and we get the next monthly renewal for Wise. But, you know, I invested I invested in Partey because I know we're going for him. We might get him. We'll either get him or we'll get our So Yeah, yeah. I feel like, I feel like it's going to be one of the, one of, of the two, probably not both. Uh, I think yeah. both would be the ideal window. Um, just in the worst-case scenario, Femi, I'll, I'll sort of draw a line under this at this point with this question, but is there... Any concerns that you might have in terms of if we aren't able to get players off off the off the books? I mean, it does look like Torreira is, is the one they're trying to sell on. That seems to be quite advanced with Atletico Madrid. I don't think he wasn't even in the squad, was he, last night? So that suggests to no. me that that's, that's happening potentially. Um, but is there any concern that you might have that if, if we can't get anybody else out the door that there isn't the money there? Or do you think the club are sort of prepared for that in terms of we might be a case we might have to just speculate to accumulate a little bit. It's it's a it's a tough one. I think we're gonna have to shift. Even I think like like Paul says, we're gonna get desperate because we're we're the one of the teams that will get desperate, as in we've not got the squad space to add more players. Even if we did want to push the boat out, you know, I'm still sitting here looking at teams spending money, thinking, where are they getting all this money from? <laughs> and I'm starting to think that teams are sort of speculating as in spending some future money are we ready to do that is the big question ask i think what arsenal fans need to look at is i know a lot of people say why does this team spend money our case is a little bit different as in we are like they said running a champions league budget with europa league football for four years so when you've got teams like Spurs, who have been in Champions League for a couple of years, when you've got teams like Chelsea who can do whatever they want, you know, 
um, there's a difference. Whereas we kind of are in a little bit, we, uh, not trouble, but where we've got nothing coming in from the Emirates, it's different for us because that's a major source of income for the club. You know, someone that goes to, you know, every game at the Emirates, you can see the amount of footfall that comes into the stadium, the food, the the, the shop is packed from the beginning of the game to the end of the game. You know, these are things that are just not happening at the moment. So you've got to really be careful. And then what you've got to wonder is how much are the you know, the board or the, the, the owner is going to say, OK, we need to relax, pull back this season. You know, they've backed the team, you know, going after someone like Pepe last season. Are they... It's going to have to be that kind of investment, to be honest. But they're going to look at the squad space and say, look, you need to get rid of a few players. And I think we're going to get desperate and start just loaning players out. But there's one major elephant in the room, which is a, a big a big O in the middle of the team, which is there's no point in having a player on that much money who's not going to kick a ball for a whole season. And then every single press conference, you're going to be asked about this same player. It's going to cause the same debate every single week. I don't. I know we don't really want to go into that, but it's a major, it's just eating up money, basically. You, you know, 18 million for the season, that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's just a waste of money. You know, you have to decide what you're going to do with that. You have to find a way to decide what you're going to do with that. So, And that's the squad space. So now, if you sign two more players and you don't get rid of anyone, who's going to miss out on the 25-man squad? You've got. Are you going to keep a, 20, a player that's earning 18 million for the year off a 25-man squad? You've got to really think about that. Yeah, yeah, it seems to be. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on in terms of um, behind the scenes. You, you suspect, but it's just it's just a hard one to know where we're going to come out of uh, the other the other side, shall we say? Um, I do just want to um, kind of briefly preview the, the next game. When I say preview, it's sort of more just a, a general kind of barometer as of where we feel really. Um, Paul, first, where do you where do you feel in terms of mood going to Anfield? Uh, I think it's Monday, isn't it? Next week that that we play them. Um, are you sort of cautiously optimistic? Are you kind of bricking it that, that if we get defeated there, all the, you know, all of the uh, the restless natives come back crawling back out the out the closet again? What's your kind of feeling on on that game, and is is it an opportunity to to really put a flag in the ground? Well, yes, it is, but that's not how I manage my emotions. I'm no, I'm no sucker. I've been around the block a few times. So I think we're about, you know, we've done really well against the big boys in recent games. I think we're, we should probably be ready for a bit of a shock. Uh, Liverpool pretty good, looked pretty good last time out. I think they're ready to put in a performance. And so like, I think if we get anything out of this game, uh, we we should feel pretty good. I think this is one that we go there, we tough it out, and we we see what we can do. But I, I've almost no expectations from it. Now, that that's more personal, emotional protection at this point. Um, kind of locking in my gains so far. I'm pretty happy with how things have gone in recent times. And I'll just whatever happens, I'll kind of personally I'll let this one go. But the teams out of you know. We do have a way of dealing with these bigger teams now. So uh, kind of pulling on the the tough skin here and and like exposing my emotions to the winds 
uh, yeah, we should be able to go here and put in a performance and uh, start to establish our credentials against the bigger teams. You know, we, we maybe took them by surprise last season a little bit. Plus, you know, Liverpool, it was the, the back end of their season after they'd won the championship. Uh, we beat them in the Community Shield. It's the Community Shield. It's a Crapatron 4000 uh, exercise. Uh, you know, it means something. What's it mean? Very hard to say. Um, so th- this will this will be so much tougher. Uh, a real examination of the team. I hope we put in a good performance. I don't have an expectation for points, but if we at least go in and kind of hold our own to the level you could expect, um, no, no kind of disasters. Um, if the the other thing I used to think is. Could we just avoid a red card or them getting penalties or that, you know, especially two, three years ago, but maybe, you know, even last season, it came, it kicked in once or twice. It almost ruined that game against Chelsea. And yet we got a two, two draw out of it. You know, so my first wish is just no adverse events, no red cards, no David Luis moment, no, uh, dodgy penalty. They win by Mo Salah's impressive, uh, diving skills or anything like that and let's just see what we can do there good good honest game and let the the best man win i guess that's going to be them uh but let's have a good performance maybe we'll get a point out of it maybe we can do maybe we could do even better which would certainly set us up you, you know that that's one scenario the other scenario is the west hams that's where we really uh, i'll let the liverpools go it's the West Ham's where we need to keep coming out with those wins. And I'm more concerned that we keep getting outshot by West Ham than anything that's about to happen to us at Liverpool beyond, you know, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want terrible traumatic PTSD events. If we go there, have a good game and lose, we'll survive. But what we've really got to do this season is outshoot West Ham when we play them at home. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. You, you have the same mindset, Femi. You sort of, again, quietly confident, or are you kind of looking at it as a as a game to get out of the way? More than um, I mean, they haven't lost at home for like four years, to be honest. So they've got to lose at some point. That's that's mm. one way of putting it, you know. But um, we can't. I, I don't think it's a game where we can say it's a throwaway game because. Our fixture list, I, I, I don't know how this computer drew up this fixture list for, for a team. I mean, we've literally got non-stop of these types of games for the next two months, which is just, you know, back-to-back hard away games. So we cannot um, go throwing or giving up on game. I, I don't see any any quit in this team at the moment anyway. You know, we, we haven't faced... I mean, what what game? Man City, the... the the first game of lockdown, that was a, a, a disaster class. But apart from that, even in that game, you know, losing 3-0 with 10 men was was an achievement, to be fair. And yeah. um, we there's no quit in the team. That's that's the, the one thing. And that, it's going to be interesting, the team, because when you've now got David Luiz back, you've got probably Tierney back, and you've got Gabriel what you know what's he gonna do <laughs> is he this three at the back works with Tierney because he creates that four four two but if you've got Gabriel Louise you 
got to kind of play them, don't you? So it's it's going to be interesting, you know. And and I, I, I like the form of Hector as well going up against um going up against uh what's his name Sadio Sadio Mane. Mane. Yeah, so t- but Hector's been much much better of recent, you know. So we as long as we can get our our wide positions correct, you know, that's where their main threat comes from. You know, they don't we'll see how Thiago changes their game, but you know, a lot of their threat comes from um Salah and Mane. So we'll we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I, I think we'll 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 go there with a confident why not? Let's let's just go for it. It's one of those games, isn't it? Monday night, the whole the whole world is watching us. Let's let's see how we do. Yeah, yeah, and no fans, of course, which is um, potentially a bonus. <laughs> well, this yeah. is it, yeah. Yeah, it is, it is definitely one. It's, it, it's, um, I think, as you both said, we just we want a decent game, something that we can kind of enjoy and, and um, a level playing field, I guess, is the way to put it. Let's, let's hope that we get that at least. And and who knows, um, in a weird way, I guess, if we, we can't really win because if we do win, everybody will, will big it up massively and then we'll be there to shoot at. And, and if we lose, then it will be the world is ending once once again. So I guess we'll see. We can't um, can win because if we, we win there, we'll actually be really, really, really good yeah that's very true yeah <laughs> we're not going to win there i guess we got a lucky result against them last time at home when they screwed up a couple of times because they were maybe thinking about their off to the beaches but this is if we beat them we're actually really good yeah yeah it can be no hiding place from from the turnaround to this team at that point so no you're absolutely right yeah uh, Right, so um, speaking of owning it, this is the part where I'll, I'll hand the show over to, to Femi, who's going to own it now, because um, we've got a couple of listener questions, Femi, and I believe Danny has been kind enough to stick them into the box for you to to have a look at. So, uh, yeah, fire away, and we'll do our best to um, to whiz through these. Danny, where's my questions? Okay, no. let me go for it. <laughs> Danny hasn't sent the questions, but I made the note of... I think he's DMing you. them. Uh, there you go. Well yep. done, Danny. Just in time. Okay, so we will go with, let's go with you, Chris, for this one, since you've been hosting for the majority of the game. Let's go with this one. Um, it's from Alfredo. It says, what mid-table Premier League team would suit Reese Nelson um, for a loan move? Oh, crikey. Um, somewhere where he's going to play. It would be my first, my first thought on that one. I'd like to see him stay in, in this country. I know he went on, on loan to half nine last time and it was kind of mixed results. I think he's kind of, I'd like to see what he can do in the Premier League. So I'd rather I'd rather he go to a Premier League side. I don't want to see him just go to one of those. I don't want to sort of have a Nabry situation again where he goes to a, a West Brom and, and doesn't play. I'd, I'd kind of like to see him go to a, a club where he's going to be looked after and nurtured. The the, the kind of the club that jumps out at me is, is Crystal Palace, but... I don't really think they need another winger. You know, if they're going to keep Tahar and and um, I'm quite a big admirer of, of um, is it uh, Eze, the, the guy they've signed? He, he looked really good at QPR. So it's a really difficult one, um, and I kind of I also don't want to see him go to a club where he, where he's going to be constantly struggling. I'd like to see him go to a, a team that is going to get some decent results. I, I really don't know. Would, would you? Is there a club you got in mind, Paul? I mean, so Palace is the only one that I really immediately thought of. New, Newcastle, maybe. Um, I'd love them to send. So I don't want necessarily want them to go to the Premier League. I'd like them to go to an equivalent club in the Championship, mm. a club that gets 
kind of the same amount of possession, plays something like this, a similar kind of way. Um, a Premier League club d- has no room for, like, he's not going to get into a top six club. He's probably not going to play for Wolves, Leicester, et cetera, et cetera, who are arguably top six anyway. You know, you're looking towards the uh, lower levels of the Premier League for a team that would want him as a starter. And that doesn't mean that he'll end up playing for them as a starter because they're in existential mode. They will, they, we saw with uh, Tony Pulis, I mean, they've just no tolerance. Uh, compare that to Emil Smith Rowe and the way he was handled with Hudder, Huddersfield, who wanted him, who understood the player, who had a plan for him. Um, and yet, in their existential crisis, they relied on him. He's the guy who played in the final game and scored the goal that stopped them getting relegated. So even though they were in those difficult circumstances, he played. And I think Reese Nelson has a much better chance of... Um, he, he's good, en- good enough to play for Premier League club, but he's not good enough to guarantee that he's going to be a starter. Even in the championship, you don't guarantee it. We saw that with Eddie Nketiah. I think it was a really good loan move for him, not in terms of starts, but in terms of his education. Welcome to the real world, son. If you thought it's easy in the championship, it's not. But he battled and he proved himself to a degree. Um, and Emil Smith Rowe, his loan there was excellent. They they used him right. They uh, he was essential to their survival, to their turnaround as a club. And what you to me, I'd much prefer Smith Rowe go or sorry, uh, Reese Nelson goes to a a championship club where his chances of starting regardless of, of their fortunes are significantly higher. And you can find somebody with a similar kind of profile in their league, but you know, maybe Brentford don't need him is the problem, but uh, you know, anything we can do with getting clubs or players into well-run clubs who know their shit Probably, you know, even we just get him in the inside feeding us back information because they're an excellent stats, tactics, club, well run. You know, they've got coaches for set piecing, set pieces. They're professional across the board. So a bit like the Eddie and Kedia move, being at Leeds is just a great education under Mar- Marcello Bielsa, whether you're starting or, or just trying to get into the team. Send them to a really good club in the championship where he's a high chance of playing and they're well run because what you want is a player who learned, who learned about football. They're all good enough players. What they need is to learn the stuff of being a footballer. And you get that in the championship. Yeah. And as Josh said it in the, in the chat there as well, that the, uh, if Ben Rama leaves, leaves uh, Brentford, then that will be a, a quite a nice fit there. So um, yeah, I think between us, we've covered that one. <laughs> yeah. Much covered it. And a lot of good shouts in the, in the chat as well. Norwich was another one that was shouted mm. out in the championship. Another one. Um, second question. I'll go straight to you, Paul. This from New R Confidential. It says, what are your thoughts on the fonts that is used on the players and names and numbers when we play in our cup games? Uh, people seem very divided on this one and we've never actually talked about it. What, what do you think about those, those crazy fonts <laughs> people don't like change do they so I, when i was younger i used to do calligraphy so i used to do all this gothic script and all that stuff 
Plus, Jesus, we just won the uh, the FA Cup with all the good vibes with the 14 and Aubameyang. I love it. Um, you know, there's a reason they make those nasty third shirts. You, you, you can't keep giving. People don't know what they want. That's what they, you know, that, what did Steve Jobs say when they were talking about uh, how you design a cell phone? You know, people say they want this, that, and the other. They, their idea of a smartphone is they want it to be really good at phoning people and texting. They have no conception of what a smartphone is because they've never experienced it. So, you know, we don't know what we want. Just shake things up, try some shit. Uh, do something a little different. So, I, yeah, I like it. It's different. Uh, nobody else yeah. has got it at the moment. You got you to try and, stuff. And Chris, yeah. as a man that owns many, many kits, what, what, what's your <laughs> thoughts on that? I, I really like it. Yeah, yeah, I really like it. And and I like the the fact that it's gone back to sort of similar, if not identical, to the original Crest font. And uh, I remember it on the 94, 95, or 93 to 95 shirts. We had it on the, the lower base of the back of the shirt. I really like that. So, yeah, it's a nice nod to the past. It fills the, the shirt well. It suits the, the style. I'm, I'm all for it. And and I think our kits this year, for me, I think they're, they're the three best kits we've had in years, personally. I really, really like them. So it's, it's something a bit different. Great, great, great. Okay, so swift in right through. Um, I think we kind of answered this one, but I'll give a shout out anyway to Hoppy, Hoppy Hopkins. It says, on a scale of 1 to 10, how good are incomings? And again, 1 to 10 are outgoings. And how many would you like to come in and out, not bothered about names? We've kind of covered a lot of that, but I guess we can just do a scale of 1 to 10 on incomings, 1 to 10 on outgoings as a quick nod to the question. Mm. Uh, Chris, you can go. Uh, incomings at the moment, <laughs> I, I guess a solid seven. Um, I'd like to push that up to an eight or a nine potentially. And outgoings, I think he's got to be more of a five. Again, we're doing this before the window shuts, but yeah, yeah, I go seven and five. And Paul, uh, well, at least at least we got decent money for Emmy, so that was good. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's kind of been the highlight. I mean, we're terrible at selling, uh, and <laughs> we're even worse this window. I mean, the window doesn't help. You need buyers, and you need to be able to agree what the price is, and not have a bunch of people saying, "Yeah, about that player you'd like to sell, we'd like to loan him," <laughs> um, which is what's going on at the moment. So you, it, it's hard to give a great outgoings, but I'm going to grade us low because I can't. If you haven't handed in your homework. I can't give you a high grade, so I'm going to have us as a, a two, three uh, on, on the outgoings. The incomings, I mean, we, have, we haven't done much of that either. I like runner, runners, and two million, how far wrong can you get? We've we got to be able to sell them for 2.2 million in a couple of years' time. Um, so he's got upside. I like that move. We'll see. It's, it's kind of like when you're buying stocks every now and then, you want to buy a fun stock that might really shoot up. Uh, as opposed to, you know, General Electric or some shit, IBM. Um, and then uh, Willian, I thought he was great in the first game. I'm like, holy shit, Pepe is never getting on the field again. Um, West Ham, not quite as impressive. Uh, so, um, and I don't, I don't think it was all him. I mean, our midfield was, was, our, you know, we have players who are more comfortable sitting a little deeper. We have nobody really good between the lines and in the channels, so we're leaving that to Saka and Willian. And maybe we just weren't very good finding him. But if we judge him on 
contribution across those two games. I do really like him. Um, again, emotionally, I've decided I'll only bitch about Willian's deal when we get to the third year because I like him for the first two years. So uh, I have it in my calendar, him and Aubameyang. I, I had this analogy on uh, on uh, the, the our own podcast last week that it's, it's Thelma and Louise. We drive off the cliff with them at the end of the movie. Obama Yang and Willian in the car. That's the third season is their cliff, but uh, I'm going to enjoy the first two seasons. The second season we shag Bra- uh, Brad Pitt, so can't be all bad. <laughs> we win the ten- we win the league in in the second season. That's the happy part. <laughs> yeah. And if you would if you would had it believed, I think someone put in the ABW chat yesterday that we signed the second. Most players this window, if you if you, if you, if you go by the the, the official really stats, am. we got yeah. runner runnerton. Who else did we get? Oh yeah, they include the youth players we brought in as well. I think that was yeah. They added all these youth team players that we brought in. They yeah, added okay. Mari. They added Cedric. It was it was yeah, yeah. I guess. Where did that all come from? But yeah. Uh, next question. I'll stick with you, Paul. It says, uh, Noir Confidential. It says, Artessa is getting all the praise for our performances, but shouldn't we be giving more credit to his assistant coaches? I know it's hard to gauge their influence, but it does seem Arteta counts on the expertise of his staff. And uh, we've had quite a few, a, lo- a couple of staff changes in the summer as well. What, what, what have you made of those? Uh, no, I think Arteta should get all the praise. Uh- <laughs> I mean, you know, he's the man. He calls the shots. If it was all going tits up, he'd get all the blame. Uh, He's brought in good people, so uh, that's their compliment. Uh, You know, I rate Arteta very highly. He doesn't suffer fools. He never has. Not when he was a player. Um, You know, almost as long back as the last time I was on the the podcast here, I I had selected Arteta as being our next... Uh, manager at the club, um, just the way he handled himself uh, as the captain, the way he he uh, just gesticulated, the way he talked to Ramsey on the pitch at half time before we'd we, the game would get underway, and you could see him doing the Pep thing with the hands. You know, did he learn the hands from Pep? Fuck no, he was doing it in two, you know, 2013, 2014. You could see him out there doing the whole Spanish Barcelona hands thing. Uh, he's been doing it for forever. He's just, you know, he's the guy. He's the smartest guy in the room, uh, brilliant communicator, doesn't waste words, crisp to the point, knows the hierarchy of what's important. Um, so, yeah, I think he's got a very good team behind him because he's very, very good. He knows what he wants, and he's building up that team. So, yes, he's got – he's bringing in specializations. He, you know, we've got a very strong goalkeeper coach, which is great. Uh, I think that predates him, though. Uh, we've got the set pieces guy in. That's excellent. And he he's he's pulled in people he knows from from the Wales structure, uh, from the Man City structure. Um, he's brought in good people. So yeah, I wouldn't, yeah, add, yeah. wouldn't add anything more to that. Perfectly, but yeah. Great, great. We'll do a couple more uh, for time. I'll pick some of the good ones. Um, <laughs> Hoppy Hopkins again. Should we bring back Teletext and bin off ITKs? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, 100%. And Club Cool while we're at it as well. Bring that back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wonder. I wonder how the, these guys would have handled that 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 time period. Club calling. <laughs> we're only one step off, like agent having live Twitter for, like feeds, aren't we? We're only we're only one year off that. It's going to be like a live ticker of of agent stuff. This this Fabrizio Romano seems to be the the flavor of the month this year. Um, I mean, credit where credit's due, he seems to have his sources well placed, but. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's. Uh, I wonder how. I wonder how clubs are getting a bit clever at this, at this as well now, and they're starting to kind of work out. Well, we know this information is going to come out, so can we send the ITKs off in a different direction, type of thing? So, yeah, it's, it's all got a bit. It's all got a bit much this year. Yeah, we've got bells and yeah. <laughs> telling us what's going on. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, I'll run through two more probably. Um, I'll give this one to Paul Big Bunny Kane from the Discord channel. It says, uh, rumours today that we want Jorginho. It says, out of Jorginho, Elneny, Xhaka, Ceballos, who will score the least amount of goals and how many goals in single figures <laughs> will the midfield score all season? <laughs> So, uh, like, Jorginho will... Ne- oh, Jorginho, okay. Jorginho, yeah, we've been linked with him. So, who, if you added them all together, who would score the least goals? And how many goals in singles figures will they all score? So, we got Jorginho, Ceballos... Xhaka and Elneny. Elneny. Oh, Ceballos, that's easy. <laughs> um, I think we're going to see the real uh, Ceballos this season. Um, uh, I don't think he's a 10 or an attacking player. Uh, but we saw his moves late in the game against West Ham. He will push forward. He will get into the box. We saw uh, a, a goal or, or two from him towards the end of last season where he pushes into the box. He can do some damage when he gets in there. Um, he's very clever, very quick. He knows his way around the box, but it's not it's not where he wants to live. He wants to sit a little deeper. He wants to pull the strings a little bit outside the box over to the left corner of the box there on the outside, creating triangles. But when nobody else is making the run, he decided, fuck it, I'll do it myself. Saka fed him. And, uh, you know, he sets up the assist and, you know, assists or goals, I don't really care which it is. So, uh, you know, uh, he absolutely got his assist there. He had a goal at the end of last season. I think he'll score a few for us. And uh, he's starting to really enjoy himself. So uh, as long as we don't uh, sign two new midfielders, Awar and Party, and he can't get on the field, uh, I think he'll rack up some goals for us. So great, great, great. Okay, we'll do this uh, last one because of time. Sorry, everyone else. Um, a shout out to uh, Luca, who's gave us a question, but I'll go with this one, Jimmy DC Guna. Because this is something we haven't discussed tonight. How long do you think it will be before Saliba begins to feature in the first team on a semi-regular basis? Uh, Chris, you can take that one first. We can both you can both have a go at that one. I think I think it will be a little while yet, and I think they're doing exactly the right thing with him because he's uh, there's a couple of things to think about. One, he's he had a, a, an injury plague season season last year, um, and it's absolute sort of. You know, completely different style of play, completely different league, completely different um, football that we're playing, and the expectation on him is very, very high. And the last thing you want to do is 
is drop a you know a lad of his age in at the deep end and only for him to make sort of you know a mistake or something and then everybody crucifies him i mean you know gabriel has, has come in and done very well but one mistake in, in early on in the fulham game and everybody could have been thinking very differently um i th- i think you'll see saliba integrated gradually i think you'll i think he might get quite a few of the Europa League games in the early stages. I think that will be a far more sensible place to blood him. Um, and I think probably what you'll see moving forward is you'll see a combination of David Luiz and a another alongside him um, in terms of either Gabriel or, or Saliba. I think it'll be one or the other. And and his Saliba's attributes are quite different to Gabriel's. So I think you might see certain games where uh, when, once he is established and once he is kind of fully settled and integrated, then we might start looking at him playing specific games rather than just sort of keeping the same defence week in, week out. But I'm I'm not against the idea of him being blooded gently and, and getting him up to speed slowly. Um, and they, they obviously feel that he's not ready yet to play him in reserve games and, and to keep him on, on the fringes of things. I think it's very wise. I just, I think people have, the trouble is everyone thought we were signing Champions League winning Raphael Varane. And, and are now sort of shocked that we haven't got that yet. And it's like, well, again, give it time. That A player can can take a while to settle and every player settles at different times in different ways. So I, I think it will be sort of well into October before we see him regularly. And I, I would imagine the first, the first time I think he'll probably start will be in whomever we draw in, in the Europa League personally. Yeah, and Paul? So I... When I looked at it over the summer, I mean, between the two of them, they've barely played. Uh, that's between Saliba and uh, Gabriel. They they don't really even have a full season of uh, top-level uh, fix- starts between them. Uh, Saliba's got like a third of a season. Uh, Gabriel's got like two-thirds of a season. So their total careers, top-level, add up to about a season. And Saliba's had his injuries. So I think we've, a a bit like my attitude to going to Liverpool, I have conditioned myself not to expect too much. I mean, things can change. Somebody gets injured, somebody comes in and starts playing. So uh, uh, that's one factor, the unknowns. The other part of it is how long will we play with three at the back? Obviously, Arteta would love to get to where he can start most games and dominate the game, starting with a relying on two center backs uh, rather than kind of fudging this this system that converts three into two so we can get up the pitch. Um, but, you know, if we don't have perhaps party in midfield providing some extra coverage, some legs, some uh, screening, then we may be stuck with the uh, a structure that means we've got three of the back for a while. And if we don't have the midfielder ahead with Awar, conversely, you know, I think we've even if we get those two players, I'm not sure I know who our three midfielders are because who do you pair them with and who's our deepest players? I think we could spend most of this year playing with uh, three centre-backs, even with those players. I don't think all our problems go away, but you need an Awar up there between the lines um, as an attacking midfielder. You're wondering when am I going to talk about the centre backs, but you, you got this challenge of if we've three centre backs back there, I think uh, he can get a reasonable number of games. I still don't think he becomes a starter this year. I think he becomes uh, kind of 
plays maybe once he's fit, once he's in the team, once he's somewhat established, he'll play play maybe a third of the games and Gabriel will play maybe two thirds of the games. I think Luis is the man in the middle. And, um, um, you know, we get cover. Basically, you're going to have Mustafi if we, you know, he's just been injured. I don't know if he gets sold this window, but we might want to cash in on the value if there's a move there. On the other hand, he's done so well for us in recent times. So you could have him competing with Mustafi, who's basically been very good in that position in a three-man midfield. Holding, who's been kept back because he's needed, apparently and is starting to actually, I thought, I thought he was actually, he got a bit of a slating against West Ham, I think from some portions, but I think he, for the most part, did well against Antonio, even though he was targeted, I thought he handled it fairly well. Um, I think he's been better recently. So, and they, like Arteta's a good coach. They'll all get better and Art, and holding can get better under him too. So I think, I look at Saliba mostly being one for next season. He'll definitely play this season, but he's not going to start for me. And Gabriel, maybe late in this season, he'll become the go-to guy on the left side. It'll be between him and Mari. I think Tierney will become a wingback. Um, and we don't have two left-footed centre-backs. We've gone a long way to get those left-footed centre-backs. I think they're part of how we will play. Um but uh, lots of questions then in terms of how how we're actually structured this year. But centre backs wise, yeah, I think Saliba will play a bit, quite a bit, a lot in the cups. But uh, he's a long way off being a starter for us. Maybe next season. Pablo Marie is a good point to bring up as well because I think he's Arteta thinks quite a lot of him. I think he's probably going to play before before Saliba does. I think Marie will be considered more in that role senior senior player um and it's hard to blood both gabriel and saliba at the same time really want to be blooding one or the other uh, i don't think you, you really want to go into a system where you've got both um and I, and we all kind of forget like rob holding i mean he's not young anymore you know he's a player who should be establishing himself in that back line rather than being a player who's just coming in and out um I still think one of our centre-backs will move on, uh, and I don't include Socrates in that, who's still around at the moment, but I think he will go. But I still think we'll move on one more. So, yeah, um, I, I don't I don't think people should be concerned, though. You know, we, we all want to see new players, but it, it takes time for them to, to adjust, and, and we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. The one good thing with Saliba is his English is, is very good, um, and he's and he's settled, and he's he's comfortable at the club already. So that's a, that's a good sign. Um, but sometimes with young players, and Arteta's proven it with even the the, the player, even like with Saka, you know, he was top of the world, signed a new contract, next couple of games on the bench. You know, you, you've got to you've got to hold them at arm's length a little bit and bring them through gradually. And, and when their chance comes, you you essentially keep them keep them hungry. And then their chance does come, like Paul said, as an injury or something comes up, they're ready, they're hungry, and they want to go in and make an impression rather than being, oh, well, I know I'm going to play. So it's only a matter of time, not having the right focus and the right attitude. So, Arteta does seem to respect experience in his lineups, especially when he gets to the business end of the season. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and, and as he should. you know, we, we have got a lot younger squad than we've had for a long time, so it needs that bit of experience through the through the backbone. And, and you know, David Luiz isn't going to be around forever. It's Saliba's a young a young lad. I'm sure he he's bright, he's intelligent. He'll he'll know his chance will come. 
Wonderful. Those are all the listeners' questions. Thank you, everyone, for your questions this week. And uh, we look forward to more questions on the next show. Handing back over to Chris to uh, bring us home. Yes, thank you very much. Um, yes, much appreciated. Thank you to uh, to everyone for sending those in. That's always good to hear from you all. Um, before we do get out of here, we're just going to do uh, some shout outs for anybody who wants to give anybody a little nudge. Um, Femi, I'll, I'll come straight back to you. First of all, is there anybody that you'd like to say hello to? Um, I'm just literally looking through my chats and I will give a shout out to Luke. Miller, who interacts. I mean, we've been having a nice little chat about finances and and uh, COVID finances and football today. Uh, nice. I'll give him a bit of a shout out. His name is at e k u l k u n. So that's at e k u l k u n. That's Luke Miller. Um, give him a follow. He's a good, good, good uh, follow. Yeah, used to blog for us, I think, if I'm not mistaken, back in the day. So, uh, good stuff, good stuff. Um, and Paul, anybody from yourself? And um, please feel free to, if anyone's living under a rock, let us let them all know where they can find you and the good folk over at the Arsenal Vision podcast as well. Uh, so my handle's at Poznan in my pants uh, on Twitter. <laughs> Occasionally, I get asked what that's related to. That's actually related to Mikel Arteta scoring that goal against Man City when we beat them. I think it was 1 0. And it was in that phase when they were all doing their Poznan in my pants, or sorry, their Poznan celebrations up on the every time they scored a goal. But we scored. So I tweeted something about having a Poznan in my pants. (laughs) Anyway, so I'm Poznan in my pants on Twitter. And uh, I'm on the Arsenal V podcast. I guess that's my shout out, but my spiritual shout out is to you guys. It's been too long. I really enjoyed it today. It's been fun. So uh, you guys are all good follows yourselves. So thank you very much for having me on. Ah, pleasure, pleasure. And I'm sure we, we won't leave it seven years this time. I promise. We'll, we'll have to <laughs> <laughs> due, to, due to popular demand of your of your listeners, I'll be back in six years this time. Yeah, six and a half at a push. But yeah, <laughs> no, of course, we'll definitely have you back on. And um, and just finally, my um, my personal shout out um, also goes to, it's, it's almost like a bit of a love in here, like uh, previous ABW members. But um, some of you will, will know of um, Tom. Tom Canton, who's uh, previously of this parish, he's moved on to to do his own channel now with the Guna Talk. Um, he's gone full time with his channel this week, and um, obviously I've known Tom for an, a number of years now. He's he worked very very hard to to get that show off the ground. He, he took it on with somebody else. He's turned it into his own his own business essentially now. You know, he took over the reins and has made it very much his own show. Uh, he does daily shows. Um, he's always on. Like, he's, he's he's just a workaholic, that man, and he's he's made some really good contacts. So, um, just a big congratulations to Tom. I know we're talking about having a little uh, get together at some point as well. We're going to have a a chat with him on on our pod and sort of do a, a cross pod broadcast at some point as well. So, yeah, he's worked very very hard for that, and and fair play to him. So, good luck to you with the new venture, Tom. Well done to you. Um, right, and uh, yeah, just to echo what Paul said, as I say, the Arsenal Vision podcast. If you haven't listened to them already please do. Um, very, very good post-match shows as well as their Patreons that you can look up and the re- regular weekly podcast, which you can find on all your usual podcast providers. So yeah, if you want to give them a follow, please do. They're very much worth your time. Uh, right, that is it from us for tonight then. Many thanks uh, to both Femi and to Paul for coming on. Thank you both for your time, sirs. Thank you all. Thank you.
And uh, a little thank you to Danny in the background, who's like a hamster on a wheel, just uh, running along, making this tick over nicely. So thank you to Danny, as always. I will be back after the Liverpool game, I say next Monday. Uh, I'm sure you can live without us until then. But uh, do keep keep giving us your messages or your uh, questions and whatnot. We'll try and get those answered on the podcast. I have no idea who's doing the Liverpool show yet because it's a whole week or so away. So hopefully, well, I'm, well, I'm sure we'll have some guests by then. So uh, look forward to that. We'll have a podcast after that game as well later on that week. Until next time, obviously, keep it Arsenal. Thank you to my guests once again. And we'll speak to you very soon. Take care. As soon as I scored that goal, I was fucking livid. Splendid business. Get down, dog.